Thanks for coming back, everybody. This is part three of a pretty long lecture that I gave in a, in a review course. And it's, uh, it, it's been a series. And I'm going to give you the shortened version because I recorded this in the long version and I fell asleep halfway through it. And I don't want you to do the same, especially if you're driving. So we left off at the renal system. And this is um, important because many of the older folks that we take care of, they take medications. And this has a direct impact on how we eliminate uh, not only toxic stuff, but we eliminate uh, the uh, drugs that we take as we get a little older. Because 1% per year decline in creatinine clearance after 40 years old. That's a lot, and it goes fast. Now, you do have two kidneys. That's great, but we don't tend to be as nice to our kidneys sometimes as we should. Watch the NSAID consumption. Watch uh, the salt intake, and, and pretty much know what we're giving either you or what we're prescribing and how it's eliminated. Some drugs are eliminated primarily from glucuronidation or, you know, it's not necessarily important for the liver, but you still got to get it out of you. And that's where the renal system plays. Uh, some people uh, have drugs excreted um, specifically through the renal system, and some don't have a renal system. They're on dialysis. And knowing these drugs plays a pivotal role in how they affect uh, your side effect profile and how they just affect uh, you, the patient, or uh, affect the outcome of a particular process that you're trying to treat. So you have what's called a volume of distribution. That's how much uh, you are... Uh, of yourself, and as we get a little older, we lose body mass, lean body mass, and we lose muscle, and we might gain a little bit of fat. That changes the distribution of where the drug goes. I don't want to go too far in the weeds, but it plays a role in the sensitivity to opioids and benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines are evil. Uh, in the elderly, they can result in all sorts of problems with accumulation memory they interfere with sleep architecture yep you don't sleep well you think you're taking them for your sleep you may get a little drowsy and that's a sedative effect that's not necessarily a good effect so diagnosis and therapy of certain problems the older folks don't have the ability to communicate as well sometimes, especially in dementia, Alzheimer's, any any type of uh, brain impairment can complicate these uh, drug effects. Once again, benzodiazepines, they're your enemy. When we have different scales, we're going to have a better outcome of what we can describe. For example, there's a pain questionnaires that are good for the elderly on bathing, dressing, toileting, and that sort of thing that are simple and good to understand. And the tools we use for younger people, like the visual analog scale, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the worst possible, they don't always understand what type of reference you're giving them. 
it's not that they aren't responding to pain. They sometimes don't voice it or verbally express themselves in a in clear, uh, descriptive terms that are easy to understand. All right, look at uh, specific drugs like antidepressants. There's tricyclic antidepressants. They're good and they're bad. They uh, have varying effects. Uh, dry eyes, dry mouth, that sort of thing that can be amplified, particularly if you don't throw them off, get rid of them, metabolize them as robustly as we did when we were younger. And the other drugs that are uh, taken, sometimes opioids, benzodiazepines, can't amplify them. Now, they're good for some types of pain, for neuropathic pain, and they might help sleep, although the side effect profile is a little tough. Antidepressants are also um, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, norepinephrine slash dopamine reuptake inhibitors, and serotonin slash norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. Those, those kind of work pretty well, the, the latter, latter ones on uh, pain. Uh, the... Pain descriptors people give us rarely exclude neuropathic descriptors. Most people, especially older folks, have a neuropathic pain component associated with uh, their problem. Okay. Anti-inflammatory agents, watch them. There's a Singh study from 1998 compared NSAIDs to other forms of death, NSAIDs at that time equaled as many people dying as HIV. Now, HIV is, is lower. NSAID-related uh, GI and renal complications is still pretty high. And don't get lulled into this safe NSAID or anti-inflammatory versus unsafe, older anti-inflammatories. They're all pretty much the same. There's two different categories. There's COX-1 and COX-2, cyclooxygenase 1, cyclooxygenase 2. The cyclooxygenase 2 is probably a little safer. There's only one, and that's celecoxib. But you remember Vioxx, right? Reficoxib years ago, it's, it was associated with cardiovascular events, and that was a fiasco for many years, and it's still uh, initiating litigation. So anybody over 65, beware of NSAIDs, benzodiazepines, and the effect of opioids. There are different types of opioids. Pure mu opioid agonist, that's the type that affect the mu receptor. That's the euphoria, the pinpoint pupils, and that sort of thing. And there's really no ceiling effect most of the time on those. In other words, the more you take, the more problems you can have. And then there's the mixed mu and kappa receptor agonist. Kappa is another opioid receptor. That would be the oxycodones, and that's why they're perky perks. The Percocet like drugs or oxycodone, oxycontin, extampsa, those are two brands, they stimulate the kappa receptor, so they stimulate you. And some people really like that, and that's part of the problem with the um, oxycodone preparations is people just love them. I have this kind of thought 
process I go through when I'm deciding what drug to give. And there are many different factors I play into it, immediate release or extended release, the side effect potential, and the um, unwanted side effects that you can sometimes get in a preparation like meperidine or Demerol. Uh, Normaperidine can be toxic. And morphine, there's two metabolites, M3, M6. M3 is excitatory. Uh, in renal failure, that gets it, folks really um, kind of dysphoric, agitated, and M6 is analgesic. So I'm not going to call it a prodrug. A prodrug is a drug that has to be metabolized to really work the way it's supposed to work. Take hydrocodone, for example, is metabolized to hydromorphone. Hydromorphone is what you would find in Dilaudid. And it's the prodrug that is metabolized in the liver, and it goes to the active or semi-active component. We'll talk more about that in the next podcast. But the pharmacogenetics and pharmacokinetics, what the drug does to you and what you do to the drug, how you get rid of it, are important in pharmacogeriatrics. So you use with caution. You use many drugs with a slanted eye, like methadone. Man, it's cheap. It's really tempting to get uh, your arms wrapped around methadone because it's yeah, it's about 10 bucks for a monthly dose. At least at one time it was. I'm sure it's a little more now. And that's, that's nice for some people. Whereas some of these branded drugs, these extended release drugs, can be anywhere from 400 to 1000 a month. You take a drug, an old geezer like uh, uh, Levorphanol, I've been using that for my entire career in the operating room, recovery room, etc. Well, one company makes it now, and it is really expensive. So uh, it's an old drug. It shouldn't be expensive. It's generic. It shouldn't be expensive, Ah, but only one manufacturer. So fentanyl, we have a heroin fentanyl crisis. Fentanyl comes in a sucker and it comes in a patch. Used with caution, it's up to 100 times more potent than morphine. That's important. And we've done a podcast on fentanyl and the super fentanyls, car fentanyl, etc. You have to play into these considerations with the elderly because the half-life can be extended with these drugs. They can't get rid of them. They have maybe renal problems or liver problems. You just have to use with caution. Well, polypharmacy is common in the elderly. It's We're just going to see it. And we're not always seeing the compliance we need to see in the elderly. They don't understand sometimes. They forget if they took the drug. Oh, I put it in my little container. I think I put it in my container. Oh, where did I put that bottle? Oh, I don't need to take that blood pressure medicine. I feel fine. Oh, oh, this? Well, yeah, one pill is good. Two is better. Bad problem with benzos and opioids. So there's different types of cognitive impairment and dementias. Most of them are Alzheimer's, about 60%, somewhere in there. Parkinson's, uh, dementia, small vessel disease, um, and 
infarcts from like strokes can also have uh, cancers, uh, metabolic problems. I, the list is long, but the diagnosis has to be made. And that's not as easy as it sounds. Diagnosis with these problems is sometimes elusive. It's getting better, but it's still tough. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis and spinal axial disease, we see it all the time as we get older. That's that's just good living. And I tell people it's it's a good thing to get older. <laughs> the alternative is really, really bad. Uh, rheumatoid diseases can be treated much better now than 15 years ago. We have biologicals. We can give them these kind of immune-suppressive agents. You've got to be a little careful, but they, they are really helpful. Okay, well, what, what we want to do is, is define what I, I consider the biggest risk in the older folks, and that's their, their desire to live. Um, there's a number of different uh, surveys that have indicated that the elderly or older people Well, they've contemplated suicide, or they have wished they weren't around anymore, especially if they lose a spouse, someone close to them, have major life events, financial stressors. They're taking a lot of medicines that are just messing them up. And that's why I tell my favorite patients, the elderly and older folks, to bring all your medicines in at every visit. Put it in a bag. And I ask them all, any risk to harm self, any risk to harm others. And, and but, but don't don't get a giggle out of that. That is uh, a thought sometimes. It's, they don't always have cognitive faculties that um, suppress desires and urges. And they have ready, ready availability to multiple medications um, or weapons. And I have over the years lost older folks. I've lost a lot of younger folks too, but uh, it doesn't make it easy. The more experienced you are, it only makes it harder. How did I miss that? Why didn't I see that? Or could I have done something? So if you have a family member you're at the least bit concerned about, make sure you check their metabolic profile, their liver, their kidneys. Uh, Make sure that they're Diseases like diabetes, um, hypertension, cardiovascular disease are well controlled and acknowledged, and just keep an eye on them. And it's not—it's not wrong to have end-of-life discussions, or it's not wrong to ask, "Hey, I feeling today? You know, is there something we can do? Maybe, maybe a simple walk. Maybe getting outside in the sunshine. Sunshine is the great healer." Okay, well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to pretty much wrap it up here. We have a long version of this uh, podcast, but I hit on the salient points. Don't hesitate to be around these folks and 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 just yuck it up with them. The companionship of an individual, especially in this COVID era, has more therapeutic value than. I can, I can emphasize the isolation is crazy in some of these communities. Uh, my own mother, 
who was essentially isolated in, in a hospital after a medical procedure, went to, back to her um, independent living facility, and she was isolated. So that was like uh, 28 days of no one. And we don't think that's right. Even if it's a Zoom call, which, which I hate, by the way, or if it's uh, a um, just a phone call, any any type of communication. Uh, use your use your iPhone. You know you can you can talk to them in that iPhone. See them. Say hi. Don't worry about your makeup and uh, make a big impact on them. Make their day. So leave a a review if you would please uh, at iTunes or. Uh, at the website, if you need to get me, talk to me, you have a suggestion, paininformation.com. And I uh, really do appreciate your uh, participation in this podcast. I have a number of subjects I want to get to because COVID is really changing the landscape of what we do and how we do it. It's it's fascinating. Uh, I didn't think things would move this fast in medicine, but we've gone from always seeing patients, having a heavy waiting room, to no waiting room, and virtual visits. And we did that almost overnight. I mean, that is technology that came along fast. We weren't waiting for or hoping for because we do like uh, contact with patients face to face, but we got stuck with it. I'm seeing patients in the office now, but I don't have a waiting room. I it's just so unusual to walk past the waiting room and it's dark, and they wait in the car and they come in. We'll talk about that in the next podcast. But once again, thanks for listening. I'm in my expansive uh, studio outdoors. There's the dogs. And um, we had a fox run by just a little while ago. She, I think the fox wanted to play with the dogs. So uh, uh, great you're coming by and see you soon.